So I have a four-year-old boy at home, which means I spend a lot of time with superheroes. Superhero toys, superhero clothes, superhero movies, superhero cartoons, and of course, before bedtime, some superhero books. And I've been thinking about this a lot as I go to the drawer. We actually have a superhero drawer in our living room that you pull out, then that's where all the superhero toys go out. And every one of them that I pull out, they all have a backstory. And they are getting more and more fascinating as, as we go along and we get into their origin story. But so many of them have had to grapple with these amazing abilities or access to amazing technology. And then they're faced with this insurmountable uh, obstacle, saving the planet, saving a universe, saving a city. And they find the power within themselves to go and defeat whatever supervillain happens to be in that little universe of comic books or, or whatever it is. And then, um, and then, especially in the movies, as the credits roll and the superhero has got the girl, the superhero has won an award from the mayor of the city and, and everything ends up happily ever after. And I'm thinking, my goodness, my life does not measure up to this. I don't know about you, but my first instinct is not the superhero instinct that I see in so many of those uh, movies and stories represented by the toys that my four-year-old son and I play with. My first instinct when life throws me a curveball is, oh no, <laughs> my first instinct is not, okay, let's suit up and charge right into danger. If I'm honest, my, my first instinct is, oh, I can't do this. My first instinct is sometimes, if I'm really on autopilot and not on my game, sometimes subconsciously I can think, oh, there's nothing that's bigger than this. And I wouldn't say those words out loud. And if it, if it got all the way to my mouth, I would realize I was making a mistake. But if I'm not careful, Sometimes my perception of God is that God is too small to help out with my problems or that God is, is too far away to help out with what I'm going through. And there's a gap there and I, and I, between what I can do and, and the problems that I can solve and what I can actually do. And there's a gap inside myself between now what I can do and what I, and, and what I know about God and what God actually says and what God can actually do and where God actually is. Last week, we talked about the gap between us and God. And this week, let's talk about the gaps in ourselves. A lot of us, I mean, have, a, have this like inner image uh, when we get some clarity of who God has created us to be and then life throws us a curveball. Uh, we get sick. There's drama at work. Our kids act crazy or our grandkids act crazy or something isn't right. And then all of a sudden, this image of what we think we are and what we think we have inside of us doesn't match up to what we actually face. And we, we realize this is way bigger than us. And I wanna invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Judges chapter six. And I want to talk to you about a superhero in the Bible and, uh, and how he's actually not the superhero. 
When I was, I grew up in church and I loved Sunday schools and I loved the old school flannel board where there's this thing and they, there's cutouts of people and they stick to it. And I loved the story of Gideon. And I was told that he was a mighty warrior and, and, and God used him to do amazing things. But as I got older, I realized, and I'm realizing even more after spending a week with Gideon, reading in his, his narrative in the scriptures that Gideon's a lot more like you and me than Gideon is like Iron Man or Batman. Like <laughs> things were not going well for Gideon and it did not look like he was going to get the, the typical Hollywood ending. So we'll start right here in chapter six, verse one, and um, I'm gonna read a chunk of scripture and then we'll just process it together. So here we go. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hand of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor goats, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Not a really happy picture. <laughs> Talk about a dark and stormy night. Uh, typical motif as we work through the scriptures is that this, this family of God, this nation of Israel that was intended to be blessed and, and to bless all the nations of the earth, again, they've wandered away and they've started worshiping the local deities and building altars to them. And God had made this agreement like, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. I'll take care of you and just keep pointing your hearts towards me. And time after time after time, they wander away. And, uh, and they start, uh, start reaching for independence from God. They start reaching for, let's, let's do things the easy way, taking shortcuts. And here they are, seven years into oppression. These folks coming in uh, like a this kind of semi-nomadic Midianite peoples, uh, a lot like the Israelites were just a few generations before this passage. And I can't imagine the anxiety after losing your homes, your, your, your crops, your livelihood, and having to actually retreat into the mountains and then looking down into the valleys of all of these tents and camels that were just swarming, looking like a bunch of locusts and seeing like if we cross these people, they're not leaving anything alive. Not even, uh, they don't care about us, they don't care about our crops, our animals, they're just destroying everything in their path. And I keep uh, like having this image after seven years, like if you were trapped in a cage and you were just continually poked and poked and poked, if you do that with an animal, eventually they stop even fighting. So they, they've, they've retreated and there's this sense of dread and anxiety and, uh, and, and they're on the run. There is absolutely no hope for them. So if you've ever felt like this, if you've ever felt like you just can't get a break, 
you're in good company. You're not the first. Uh, you're not the first to deal with these emotions. And I want to uh, just examine their conversation that they had, even though they had wandered away from God, even though they they started serving Baal and other um, deities that that were thought to have ruled uh, these different regions and in these different geographical areas. There was something deep inside of them that that felt like they could still have a frank conversation with Yahweh. And as the story continues, they cry out to God. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. And on first reading, this can kind of seem like um, God is up in heaven going, I told you so, see what happens, and kind of crossing his arms. But what's going on here, like notice there's, there's an intimacy here and a very directness to their conversation. They're in trouble and they cry out for God's help because they're remembering that's what their ancestors did when they were in slavery in Egypt. And they say, God, what is going on? And God doesn't beat around the bush, sends them a messenger saying, hey, I'm reminding you that I'm the God who rescued you before you ever did anything to deserve it. I'm the God. This is, this is who I am. I'm the God who rescues you from oppression, from, from anxiety, from mistreatment. That's, that's who I am. And this is like an ancient, like um, reminding them of the, the agreement, the treaty that they had with God. In the ancient world, it was called a covenant. God's reminding them like, I have kept up my end of the bargain. I kept it up before you did anything to deserve it. And the implication here is, I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain and I'm going to, to preserve you no matter what you do. It's, it's in there. God reminds them over and over of this rescue. And then we meet our superhero in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now the original um, readers of this or listeners uh, to this narrative, uh, they would have known what it is to thresh wheat and they would have known what it is to, to, to stomp on grapes in a wine press. And this would have been the, the part where you're like, okay, there's deliverance that's going to come. There's memories of the Moses narrative of, of like, all right, God came to Moses and said, you know, uh, hey, go to Pharaoh and, and say, let my people go. It's kind of a motif, like in a story, like this is where it gets good. But wait, our hero is in a wine press? That's like a hole in the ground. And he's hidden by this oak. Like, so, so these Midianites won't come and see him. This, is, this, this makes as much sense as making coffee in a thimble. Like, it's a ridiculous image. Just sipping, uh, like, maybe three or four grounds of coffee and pouring some hot water. Mmm, that's good. Because you're supposed to thresh wheat. 
like out in the open, maybe on a hilltop on a windy day and you're tossing it up and the chaff blows away and, and down comes these, these rich, amazing, delicious kernels of wheat until, and you keep going and the wind's going and way out in the open until you just have this big pile of wheat uh, that you can use for, for months and months and months. But here's Gideon hiding in a hole basically, kind of throwing his wheat up. Maybe there's no, I, I picture it with no wind and Gideon just going, oh, I hope they don't see me. This is not like the image that inspires confidence. Like this is not someone who's about to stand up to people that from far away look like a swarm of locusts ravaging the countryside. Whee! This is not someone who I would think of that God would look at and say, mighty warrior. That's my mighty warrior. No, like he, he, he was scared. And you know, at first when I was younger and, and getting into this, I thought, oh no, Gideon isn't the hero that, that I thought he was. And well, yeah, that's right. All the biblical, the, the patriarchs, all the, all the judges, they're all flawed. All the prophets, God used them, but they're just so flawed. But I have so much more empathy for Gideon now after thinking about seven years of having your crops destroyed, your livelihood, not knowing where your meal's going to come from, you've had to, to run away and you're taking refuge in caves. Like, I, I have a lot of empathy for him. He's, he's a lot more like you and I when we're faced with difficult circumstances. And imagine, imagine you're the one there hiding so people don't steal your stuff, <sighs> blowing, blowing weed away. And you, you hear this person say, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Kind of look around and be like, sure doesn't feel like it. And that's what Gideon says right here, his response. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? <laughs> the response there, um, in the wine press, uh, pardon me, my Lord. <laughs> and then here comes this imagery again. Like, I thought that we had this deal with God and that God would save us from things like that. I thought once we were in the family, everything would be fine. I mean, that's what I thought when I gave my heart to Jesus. Like, okay, I, I'm at summer camp. I came down at the end after the youth pastor gave his message. I surrendered everything to Jesus. So now it's time to kick back, put things in cruise control. Some sort of metaphorical red carpet's gonna come out before me and I'm gonna leap temptation in a single bound. I'm gonna, I'm gonna charge into all my problems like faster than a speeding bullet because I've got Jesus on my side. Well, a few months later, I start school and I'm still a teenager <laughs> and things weren't easy. I still had to go through the grind of homework and lectures and drama with friends and, and peer pressure. I was like, what is going on here? I thought that Jesus was, was gonna take me around my problems, but Jesus takes us through life, not around, not over, not under. And um, I love God's, God's just 
not even like reacting and getting into like, because there's this conversation going on. Gideon doesn't know he's talking to the angel of the Lord yet, by the way. But he doesn't get into, um, this messenger doesn't get into, well, you guys should have done this. And you doesn't go into, it's not a, like a legal argument. But he, he just goes straight to the core of it. Hey, go in the strength you have and I will be with you. It sounds a lot like Moses. Like, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses is like, I don't know, I don't know. And all this fear and anxiety, there's a gap within Gideon. And God has to deal with this gap between who Gideon's supposed to be and Gideon's perception of himself, but also Gideon's perception of God. That gap needs to be narrowed. And God cuts right to the core. Go, am I not sending you? Don't you remember who I am? I remember um, in about 2008, 2009, living in Austin, Texas, and, um, and they used to have these amazing music festivals, Austin City Limits and South by Southwest. And over the course of the week or two that this music festival was taking place, there would be over 10,000 bands there. Everything was turned into a music venue. Even, even the street, uh, the house across the street from me, uh, their front yard was a music venue. So they used that term very loosely. But the drummer at our church, Derek, amazing drummer, one of the bands that he played with was playing like a really good venue on 6th Street. And these tickets are crazy crazy expensive. And even though I was making tons of money as a youth pastor, I'm just kidding. It was a little bit out of our price range to get the, the wristband to go to, these, uh, to go to these concerts, but you could just walk around and listen to the music. But I knew our friend Derek was, was playing and I wanted to go stand outside and, and watch, uh, watch his band play. It's, they were so good. And Marie and I are walking down and enjoying all the sights. The food was amazing. And he was in this music venue with the doors open and the lead guitar player had a long enough chord that he was actually standing outside the building playing. But I caught Derek's eyes as he was drumming and Derek uh, looks over at the, the guard, the bouncer to this venue checking everybody's tickets and he yells out as he's playing, hey, they're with me and he waves me in. And I, like, I had walked up to the venue going like, I hope they don't mind I'm standing here. And I was so timid. I'm like, you know, I'm not going in, but uh, I'll stay right here. But then when Derek locked eyes with me and said, you're with me, he's with me, come on in. Like, I like walked a little taller and I walked in. I looked right at the bouncer and I was like, hey man, what's up? I'm with the band and walked in and it like felt so <laughs> much different. I, I had a reason to be there. I, I, I was justified in my existence within that concert. And I, I keep thinking about this of when, when, when God says, go deliver them for I am with you. God, it's like God saying, you're with the band. You're with us. And whatever strength you have, go. But I'm with you. And I just imagine like, what would it be like if you and I continually reminded ourselves of this? God knows that we're gonna forget. God created us. God, created, God knew that Israel would forget on their own and he gave them so many, if you read through the, the, the Old Testament scriptures, even their clothing was designed to help them remember the, the little tassels on their garments, the, the Ebenezer's, these stone monuments that, that God would tell them to build over and over so that they would remember that God 
has done things in the past, God is with them in the present, and God will be with them in the future no matter what they face. Like, what? maybe that could be a little saying. I'm with the band <laughs> this week that you remind yourself and uh, over and over that God is with you, that God is behind you. How would you, how would you approach uh, the anxieties in your life? How would you approach the problems? Like, yes, this is bigger than me, but I'm with God. God's got my back. God's going to figure this out, and I just have to be faithful to put one step, one foot in front of the other. So uh, this conversation continues. Again, Gideon says, Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. So here's another similarity to Moses and Exodus. Gideon is continually finding excuses for his passivity, his, uh, his kind of just fatalistic attitude, like there's nothing I can do. I'll just keep getting poked and I'm gonna stay here hiding out in this wine press, protecting this little bit not even coming close across the gap to what God is saying. Like, I gave you this land. I'm going to use you. All you have to do is is trust me. Come on, come on, man. Gideon's going, seriously, maybe you don't know this, but there's like this organizational chart in Israel and God is at the top. And right now we have various judges that, that rule over our tribes and every tribe has a clan. And in the clan, there's families and like, my tribe's the smallest, my clan's the smallest, my family's the smallest in the clan, and I'm the weak, like, you need to talk to upper management here. Like, I can't help you. I'm just, I just work here. God is kind of saying like, duh, that's the point. I want to use you. I want to use you, Gideon. But again, he goes through uh, this kind of thing, like Gideon continually, this is the start of Gideon asking this messenger for signs. And in the next few verses, he goes in and, um, and, and grabs some meat and some broth and pours it over this rock like the messenger tells him to. And, and the messenger uh, touches the edge of the broth and the meat with the edge of his staff and it lights up on fire. Sounds awesome. Who says the Bible's boring? And Gideon realizes like, oh my goodness, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Like this is for real. The gap inside of Gideon is beginning to narrow. And I love that in this, like before before we can help someone else, a lot of times we have to deal with our own junk and deal with our own inner struggles. And God is is, um, using Uh, this realization in Gideon, like, okay, God is real. Yahweh will protect us. And oh my goodness, he's going to, he's going to use me to do it. And God is first kind of healing this incorrect perception of Gideon's own self and Gideon's perception of that God is really far away and God is too small to, to help them in their struggle with the Midianites. And, um, he continually reminds him, I will be with you. And after this experience, in verse 23, uh, Gideon builds an altar to God, to Yahweh. And uh, the Lord said to him after this, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. 
And uh, that's like a, a real literal translation from the, the, um, the original language. But the idea in here is so much richer and so much deeper. He's saying shalom to you. Like, like peace is just more than the absence of violence or the absence of conflict. Like peace to you. You can walk in perfect harmony with God. God's not going to be far away. And God will fight the battles for you. Everything is fine. All is well. And one commentator puts this in there too. God will make things well. And I don't know exactly what all of us have gone through this week, but I feel like that's a word from God for us. No matter what you're anxious about, no matter what you've been reading in the news, no matter what's going on in your world, just hear that today. I think that's for us too. God would say that. Uh, He said it to Gideon, he did it for Gideon, and there's no reason why God wouldn't say that to you in your moment of trouble. Peace to you. All will be well. All will be well. And more importantly, God will make things well. And then God gave Gideon the first challenge. Uh, Gideon's dad had this altar to the local deity. He was in this uh, Baal's territory. So there was an altar to burn stuff on, and then there was this pole that represented uh, Baal there. And um, that they would pray to that and ask for fertility for their, um, for their livestock, that their, their crops would grow. And uh, that, they weren't supposed to do that. They were only supposed to worship God. But after generation after generation, they kind of were like, uh, you know what, we'll just do whatever, whatever works. We'll, we'll try this too. And uh, Gideon was commanded to go do this, but watch how he does it in verse 27. He's supposed to take down, supposed to take down the altar. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in daytime. So he obeys, but he makes sure he makes a point of doing it when no one is looking. Like, okay, God, I'll do it, but I'll do it in a safe way. I don't, I don't wanna stick my head out there too much. And you know, I can only imagine that, that they would have to be in this like, small little camp because they were hiding out. And if you've grown up in a small town or a, a close family, you know, you can't get away with anything. Like, everybody knows your business. And the next morning, they see that the, the, the pole is cut down, the altar's been destroyed, and uh, in this place of refuge, there's an altar built towards the one true God, Yahweh, on top of all of that. And everyone's like, ooh, someone's going to get in trouble. And, uh, and they, they rat Gideon out. Someone's like, Gideon and his servants did it. And so now here comes the moment of truth. Like Gideon, it was his dad's altar. And they're saying, all right, you need to punish your son. There's this confrontation. And then surprisingly, his, his dad, Joash, but Joash repro- replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to be, plead Baal's case? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal is really a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. I love this. There was something about Gideon's obedience that God used to open his dad's eyes. Uh, and, uh, as, uh, and, I, and I think this is like God like slowly bringing Gideon along. As Gideon like, takes one step to narrow the gap between himself and God, 
God's like, um, this is great. I'm going to heal that gap inside of you, but it's not just for you. I'm going to use your process and your journey and your story to help other people take another step forward in their journey. And Gideon's dad basically tells this group of people like, if, if Baal is really a God, he can defend himself. Yeah, and his eyes are opening to, to the one true God and the way that they were meant to go the whole time. And I love just a few verses later. In verse 34, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abyssalites to follow him. Now, that's I'm using the New International Version translation, but other translations say the Spirit clothes itself in Gideon. Like, God came supernaturally to narrow that gap between what Gideon was and and what Gideon was supposed to be. And he started behaving differently, started walking around with boldness. Like there's such a difference. As a youth pastor, I saw this over and over again between um, a sixth, seventh or eighth grader before Jesus and then they meet Jesus and surrender their life to Jesus and and they're they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they go from being like a, a, a timid, like, hey, what's up kind of thing to like, this brightness and boldness and, uh, and um, active, not passive. Uh, there's a light in their eyes. Like God's spirit n- narrowed the gap for Gideon and he was able to lead. Once he, once he allowed God and surrendered to God's process, there was something different about him. And the crazy thing is, even though God's spirit clothed himself in Gideon, he was still fully Gideon. And he was still asking for signs. Like to, and, I, and I picture it like a little kid, like taking a step. Are you still there? Taking a step, maybe walking up to a roller coaster for the first time or walking up to, to apologize. And, and you're with them as a parent. And they're like, okay, are you still there? Are you still there? That's the image here. And Gideon's like, if you want me to do this, and there's this whole thing with laying fleeces out. Um, and it kind of reminds me of, uh, of the example of a, a pastor once was like uh, driving along and says, God, if it's your will that I pull into the donut shop and eat a donut, there will be an open parking space right in the front. And after 10 times of driving around in the parking lot, a space opened up right in the front. It's amazing. It's God's will. I'm supposed to go eat a donut. That's kind of how it is with Gideon. And every time uh, that he does it, God God meets Gideon right where he's at in all of his doubts. And the more and more I read it, I wonder if God does it with a smile on his face. Because God's not impatient. That's not in God's character. But God's saying, okay, yes. Okay, yes. I'll show you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, so who's the real hero in the story? Gideon goes on to uh, to follow God's commands at, even when it doesn't make sense. Uh, whittling away the troops, you can finish reading the rest of, uh, rest of the chapter. And it's an amazing story that God uh, sends away the, the best fighters and is basically like comparing the, the handful of soldiers that Gideon is left with. They like drink water like dogs. And if you've read the rest of the Old Testament, like dogs aren't pretty high up on God's list of holy animals. The the image is God uses Gideon and this band of geeks to to deliver them, to deliver these people 
from danger, from harm, and to rescue them and, and to, to reestablish um, their safety in the promised land. So God is the hero. And this is why I like Gideon. Uh, even though he continually doubts God. And that's it's not something like, oh yes, like it's not like a, a character quality all of us like aspire to, but I love how God treats Gideon's doubts. And the more and more we, we spend time with this, we realize that in the midst of a, a pagan world, Israel was living in a pagan land at that time, he was addressing his doubts in the right place, taking them to God. And that's a great lesson for us. Like, uh, we, don't, we don't look to our, our uh, financial manager to solve all of our problems or, or to our own selves to, to solve all of our problems with our own smarts and wisdom and things like that. We take, God, here's my doubt. Here is my, the problems I have. God, will you help? Are you still there? Are you still there? Um, no matter how crazy it seems or how like impossible it seems, let's take our doubts to God like Gideon did. You know, I'm uh, in, a, in a process of uh, uh, ordination. I'm getting ordained again. I was ordained with my last church, but in our church network, I'm going through the process of ordination with, um, with the brethren in Christ. And, um, and it's pretty serious. Like they don't mess around, which I really like. There's a lot of reading and there's papers to write. And, and for every one of these classes that I've taken, and it's, it was the same in, uh, in college too, I notice a lot of students ask for extensions. And I'm not the kind of person that likes to ask for an extension even when I need it. I do not like to make waves. But I've, I've seen over and over again, uh, students ask for extensions like two weeks later or like, hey, I didn't do my paper and it's, it was like a month ago that the class ended. And sometimes the professor grants the extension and sometimes the professor doesn't. But I was thinking this week about Gideon, how he keeps asking for confirmation after confirmation. Are you still there? Are you still there? Like, he, at least he asked. How many times do we think our need isn't um, a big deal to God? How, how many times do we not even engage? Because I think that's what God likes. He wants communication with us. And he wants to be there for us. Even if God knows that it's not best to give a, a positive answer, at least we're in communication. And I look through other scriptures and other examples of people crying out to God. Psalm 31, 22, the psalmist says, in my alarm, I said, I'm cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. I think of, of Peter uh, on the water. You know, they see Jesus coming to them and Peter says, hey, if it's really you, let me come out to you. And, he, and he, Peter actually walks on water with Jesus. And then he takes his eyes off Jesus and starts to sink and Jesus grabs him and turns and immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith. And that word there is an, a term of endearment. You little one of little faith. Oh, logi pistos. He said, why do you doubt? I'm right here with you. I'm right here with you. Don't take your eyes off of me. And Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So thinking about Gideon, thinking about how God used him in spite of his position, his skill, his might, 
his, his resources, God used him mightily uh, because Gideon kept his, uh, eventually kept his focus and even, even channeled his doubts and handled them in the right place. Um, this story has echoes to me of even like, even from 2021 in the, in the time that we're in right now, it still goes back all the way to the garden. There was a, a tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, and which, which one did Adam and Eve where they were supposed to focus and continually eat from the tree of life, from anything else in the garden, but that tree of the knowledge of good and evil represented independence, figuring things out on their own, depending on themselves for provisions that they would want to become like God. That image shows up in this Gideon story. There's the, there's the, the pole that was um, the, the, to the deity, to, to Baal, to the local deity. And then there was the tree that the angel of the Lord was sitting under at Ophrah. Like, and Gideon chose to, to keep his eyes on God, like in the midst of all of our doubts. Um, that's the, ch the challenge of this text for us. Like God set before us life or death. And sometimes we can't see, we don't understand. It doesn't make sense, the path of obedience. It doesn't make sense, the path of trust and surrender. But if we ask God, even when it's crazy, even when we doubt, we serve a God that has continually through the ages come through and said, I'm gonna get you through it. I'm gonna help you narrow the gap within yourself and then we'll work on our external circumstances. Fear not. I love Joshua chapter one. Uh, God tells this new leader over and over again, be bold and courageous for I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So in this moment, we're here together just for a couple more moments. I wanna invite you to, to bow your heads and close your eyes and ask God to search your heart. Uh, which way have you been reaching? Have you been reaching towards independence? Or have you been reaching towards trust and surrender? Where have you been channeling your doubts? Have you been channeling them towards ways that you can overcome things or, or get around things or avoid things? Or have you been choosing the path of life and surrender and bringing your, all, of, all of your pain to God? So I wanna just uh, take a moment for us just to Leave those things at the feet of Jesus and choose life, choose surrender. Dear Heavenly Father, whatever it is that you've brought up in our hearts and that you've brought to our attention, uh, God, for all the ways that, that, that we have not trusted you, would you please open our eyes? Would you please go and fill the gaps in our hearts? Remind us of who we've been created to be. But more importantly, in this moment, will you remind us that you are with us, comforting, uh, helping, assisting, providing um, for everything we're facing in our own context. We surrender to you once again and ask again that you would save us, that you would heal us. In the mighty and strong and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, uh, if you would like... Um, to share anything like if, if you're facing something and it is too big for you and you're like this is great mike like <laughs> great for gideon but i need help with this like 
that's the great thought. You do need help with this. And there's a bunch of people that are like standing by to walk with you and to be a representation of God grabbing your hand saying, okay, I'm with you. That's what church is about. We're a family of brothers and sisters that go through hard stuff together. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us, either in the comments below, a direct message, email us at the church, find, uh, find our communication thing on our homepage, sgbic.com. It's our honor to walk through life with you. And it is bigger than you, but guess what? God is with you and God will get you through it. So until we meet again, I want to say a blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and turn his face towards you and may the Lord give you his peace. All will be well. God will make it well. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.